He's not very well liked by the food industry in this country, but he works tirelessly to try to help Americans eat better in an effort to combat heart disease, diabetes, and all those other things we worry about with our increasing waistlines. And he's identified a couple of special villains, salt and trans fats. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn, and my guest is Dr. Michael Jacobson, Executive Director of the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington, D.C. Hello, Dr. Jacobson. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Trans fats seems to be in the news all over the place. And I tell you, I, for one, could use a little refresher course on exactly what these things are and why we don't like them so much. A little bit of trans fat occurs naturally. It's produced by bacteria in cows' stomachs. But most of the trans fat in our diet comes from foods that contained partially hydrogenated oil. So what's that? Well, <laughs> Yeah, what's uh, that? <laughs> it starts out as, as uh, liquid vegetable oil, like soybean oil, but it's chemically reacted under pressure with hydrogen, hydrogen gas, and that causes some of the double bonds in the fatty acid molecules to be hydrogenated, to be converted to single bonds. And in the process of doing that, some of the double bonds kind of flip their configuration from the cis to the trans form. It leads to a different shaped molecule. So why, what's the significance? So we get a chemical change to a trans molecule of some type. What's the significance of that? What's happening is that you're getting monounsaturated fats that are normally good, but it's turning them into a shape where they behave in the body like saturated fats. So they raise LDL cholesterol levels. Now, they're actually worse than saturated fats because they simultaneously lower HDL cholesterol levels. So there's a double whammy. And they also have an effect on the epithelial lining. Are they, the trans fats lower LDL? Are they, uh, give me trans that one fat, more time. So they, trans fat raises the LDL, the bad cholesterol. Raises the LDL, which and is lowers the, the lowers, good, lowers uh, HDL, HDL, right. And they also do other things like affect the epithelium of blood vessels, making them less flexible. And that is another way that trans fat contributes to heart disease. These are manufactured fats that are similar in some respects to saturated fats nutritionally and, and in some ways worse. That's right. They've been made for 100 years. You know, Crisco has always been the, the quintessential partially hydrogenated oil, where soybean oil and maybe cottonseed oil were converted into the semi-solid. Margarines have always been made with partially hydrogenated oil. There was only a little bit of evidence that they were harmful until 1990. In fact, the Food and Drug Administration reviewed the safety of partially hydrogenated oil in 1976 and 1985 and concluded that the oil was safe. So then in 1990, there were new studies that began to find some of these bad consequences? That's right. The first really good studies that looked at LDL and HDL cholesterol in a way that could tease out the effect of trans fat, the first one was done in 1990, and more and more careful studies were done in, in the early 1990s. The general conclusion was this is bad stuff. Now scientists estimate that trans fat has been causing roughly 50,000 premature deaths each year. Being one of the biggest killers in the food supply, it's ironic, surprising, that 20 years ago, the stuff was thought to be pretty safe. No one was ringing alarm bells. Now, so these are all through our food supply in all kinds of places, is that right? Both in packaged foods and restaurant foods. The recent legal history, the reform history, was in 1993, 
Center for Science and the Public Interest first urged the Food and Drug Administration to require labeling of trans fat. And as the evidence built up, the FDA got persuaded and in 1999 proposed that trans fats be listed on nutrition labels. And that regulation went into effect in 2006. So there was a 13-year gestation period. But once the labels went on, then a lot of companies have started to get rid of the trans fat. Kraft, ConAgra, Frito-Lay, many others have largely gotten rid of the trans fat in their, in their foods. Now, the packaged food industry was, has been moving pretty quickly on this for the past two or three years, but the restaurant industry was a laggard. Restaurants like McDonald's, KFC, Burger King, Wendy's, all the big ones, especially those that fried foods, fried chicken, fried potatoes, onion rings, used partially hydrogenated oil, huge amounts of it in some of these meals because the portions are, are humongous. We began pushing the FDA first to require restaurants to disclose that they use, that there's trans fat in their foods, and secondly, to get rid of trans fat, to get rid of partially hydrogenated oil completely, so people didn't have to worry about this. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Dr. Michael Jacobson of the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington. What is New York City proposing, or, or what have they actually done with regard to trans fats? New York City was the first city to ban trans fat from restaurants, actually to set a tight limit on trans. Teeny bits are allowed. Philadelphia became the second city, and the ban is in all restaurants in the cities. New York goes into effect July 1st, Philadelphia a couple of months later, and that will have a salutary effect on the public's health. We'll be able to measure that a few years down the road? Hopefully. Or hopefully. Well, I think if, if it goes... If the ban becomes national, if packaged food manufacturers all stop using partially hydrogenated oil, we should see a distinct drop in heart disease death rates. But this is not going to attack obesity. This is no. going to be, people are going to get the calories from some other kind of fat. Right? <laughs> well, there's, there's actually a little bit of evidence that trans fat promotes obesity in addition to doing its other nefarious thing. And the fortunate thing is that there are substitutes for every use and no fat even butter, no fat, is as bad as partially hydrogenated vegetable oil. In the packaged food world and restaurants, we're seeing changes. I can't think of any cases in which the food got less healthy. So there are substitutes available for trans fats. Let's talk about something for which substitute may not be so readily available, and that's that, that's that white stuff in the salt shaker. Now, you don't like that either. You're kind of a, you're kind of a grouchy guy. A little bit of salt's okay. But the problem is, in this country, we're consuming twice as much sodium, mostly from salt, as we should. And the result is increased blood pressure and unnecessarily high rates of heart attacks and stroke. Salt is a cheap seasoning. It's used in practically every packaged food, every restaurant food. In 2004, the director of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute estimated that if the sodium levels in packaged and restaurant foods were cut in half, that would save 150,000 lives a year. And there are some error bars. Maybe it's only 100,000. Maybe it's 160,000. Awful lot of lives that could be saved simply by cutting down 
and the amount of salt. Now, you know, I remember doing a story at one point talking to people who develop, develop foods and taste testers and so forth. There's actually a fair amount of salt in a lot of breakfast cereals. I don't think I want salt in my breakfast cereal, but apparently if you take the salt out, people don't like it as much. Well, it serves different purposes. Breakfast cereals certainly aren't a major source of sodium. And so if I were to write a the list of where we get the sodium from, breakfast cereals wouldn't be at, at the top of the list. But I bet tomato juice would be on there, though, wouldn't it? It's very salty. We don't drink much tomato yeah. juice. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, bread is the single biggest source of sodium in the American diet. Really? Is it, is it because bread has a lot or because we eat a lot or both? It's both. Or, yeah. it's, it's both. It doesn't have huge amounts, but because we, we eat it, it on so many occasions. And when you look at the sodium levels of some individual products, the amounts are enormous. Restaurant foods where the servings are so large, we may be getting a, a day or more's worth of sodium from a single meal of lasagna or Kung Pao chicken or just single meal, just huge amounts of salt. Salt, like partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, is considered generally recognized as safe by the Food and Drug Administration. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they haven't really been tested, but that, that there are things, many common things that we presume are safe for one reason or another. That's right. Pepper would be another one. It is things that are assumed to be safe. They've been used for so long and there's no obvious problem. But salt and partially hydrogenated oil are probably the two biggest killers in our food supply. They're generally recognized as dangerous. <laughs> they safe. Right, yeah. And the FDA knows it. So the Center for Science and the Public Interest has petitioned the FDA to revoke the grass, generally recognized as safe, status of both ingredients. The FDA has been sitting on these petitions. Is that ever going to happen in a million years? It sounds like one of those things that might be a great idea, but it's, we're, we're never going to see it if we live to be 150. It's possible. Or it could be that the FDA would push industry to reduce sodium levels without formal regulations. The British government has been working very hard to get the food industry to lower sodium levels. It's been beating up on the industry, holding press conferences, uh, giving a goal for each industry as to a percentage reduction within five years. Have they had some success? They've, had, that, or they... they've had initial success, and uh, the government is doing a, a survey now to see the impact of the first wave of progress. It's very interesting to see the government say, this is a major priority. Too many Britons are dying because of high sodium levels. Let's do something about it. And And the problem is not people salting their food using the salt shaker. It's that packaged and restaurant foods come preloaded with too much sodium. Now, our, our listeners include a lot of physicians and other health professionals. What, what is their role in this? Are they, just, are they limited to giving their patients good advice? Is that important? Is there more they could do? Well, they could certainly be talking to the FDA, health commissioners, state health commissioners, to do something. The American Medical Association and the American College of Cardiology are both very strong positions on salt, and the American Heart Association also, where they've recommended a 50% reduction over 10 years. And the American Medical Association in particular has been urging the Department of Health and Human Services to take action, to do something. The government has all these recommendations about salt is bad, we should cut down, both advice to consumers and to industry, but it doesn't put any muscle behind it or money behind it. We need to see some real resolve when it comes to 
to dealing with a serious problem. Now, are consumers going to go for this, or are they going to are they going to go seek out the bread that's got the most salt because it tastes better? There are a couple of ways to answer that. The Center for Science and the Public Interest did a study looking at different brands of the same food, like tomato sauces, cheeses, frozen French fries, and what we found is that. There's wide variation within a food category. Some foods had twice as much sodium as competing brands. And what that means is that many companies could easily lower sodium limits and have a perfectly marketable product that would taste perfectly fine. I think companies have been just been lazy in using too much salt. And at some point, the more salt they add, it doesn't make the food taste saltier. It doesn't make it taste more appealing. So some companies have lowered sodium. Campbell's Soup, over the years, they produce VA juice and they've lowered the sodium by about 30%, just quietly. And when you do it quietly and gradually, nobody notices. With that sneaky advice, we'll close. We're just about out of time. We've been talking about salt and trans fats with Dr. Michael Jacobson from the Center for Science and the Public Interest in Washington, D.C. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You've been listening to the Washington Health Report here on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send us your email. Our address is xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.